0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder.
1: Look with me now in 2 Timothy 3 and verse uh, 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings or the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever, abides forever. By God's grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. As we uh, remember the Reformation, and by the way, as I said earlier, it's, it's appropriate. In fact, the Bible calls us that very interesting word that's used in the Bible, remember the Sabbath. Remember the body and blood of the Lord. Bring your children back here to this Ebenezer and remember what I've done. God's constantly calling us to remember. Now, you need to remember, I need to remember that God never changes. That's why we can not live in the past, but learn from the past to live in the present, that we would change the future. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the future as we're facing it, is in desperate need of the life-changing, soul-saving, redeeming work of the gospel into this future, even as it needs it now in the present. And therefore, it is at moments like this, I love to go back to moments of history, such as the Reformation that here 's the two unmistakable facts that we need that I want you just to plant in your mind as we walk through this text and distill some basic truths about the Word of God uh, today. This is foundational for us um, twenty four years ago when I became pastor here, we had a service to honor our founding pastor and then we had another service uh, and the pastor the elders charged Frank to figure out what would be done in a passing of the mantle service in other words you remember Elijah and Elisha when Elijah moved on he passed his mantle to Elisha and so our 40 year founding pastor was to pass a mantle and I remember Frank coming to me the other day he said harry i mean the the week before and he said well i 'm still praying through this thing, trying to figure it out and I said, "Well, I have no doubt you 'll figure it out i 'll just try to be ready for it and he said yeah i 'm trying to figure out how do I get that fireplace mantle off and bring it to the service. And that was Frank's effort at humor at that moment. And uh, of course, that's not what happened at that service. What happened at that service is what you'll find in my office. And that was the handing of a Bible to me. That was the mantle. And then uh, I remember when I was preaching on a series of sermons here, Thy Word is Truth. And I remember when one of the young men in this congregation came up to me who was actually, when the sanctuary was built, was um, was actually working for the construction crew that was building the sanctuary. And on the day this platform was being poured with concrete before it would be overlaid with the wood, he came in early that morning. And he took a Bible that now rests right under where this pulpit is. And the concrete was poured around it. What I would have you know, as firm as that concrete is, something firmer is in that concrete. And that is God's word. All flesh is like grass and the flower of grass. It it wilts, it fades. But the word of the Lord abides forever. The word of the Lord is the only thing here that's perfect, that's headed to forever. That's it. Well, Harry, what about the church? Isn't the church prevailing? Oh, it's prevailing, but here it's not perfect. It is not yet will be perfected. You're not perfected. You are accounted as perfect in the righteousness of Christ. But you are being perfected by the work of sanctification. Now, with what? That living, abiding, perfect word of God. It is that that is crucial to us. That's why want, there's two unmistakable facts that I want you just to register in your mind uh, as we just take a brief look at a couple of themes in distillation uh, this Reformation Sunday from this text. The first unmistakable fact is you just went through what became known as the five solas. Not long after the Reformation, there was a, there were two attempts to undermine the Reformation: one from the Roman Church and one from error within the Reformed Church. And that error that was within the Reformed Church was, uh, was an error called um, uh, Arminianism. And so at the Synod of Dort, they they recaptured and answered the errors, the five errors of Arminianism with uh, the five points of Calvinism. But what they called upon were the solas that had come out of the Reformation. We just went through them. sola the word alone, is crucial in the Reformation. That we are saved by grace alone. Now grace is never alone. Grace always leaves tracks of its presence. But those tracks don't save us. It's God's grace that saves us. For by, so that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. What does God's grace give us? God's grace gives us faith whereby we receive Christ. As Lord and Savior. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God's grace to us. So we're saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. And there's only one Savior. In Christ alone. Now again... Christ, and when we receive Christ, we receive many benefits and blessings along with Him. When God's grace lays hold of us, it gives us a changed life. When God's, uh, when we believe, faith has works that manifest its reality. But the changes that grace brings, the works that evidence faith, and the very uh, the uh, the blessings that Christ gives to us, those things do not save us. The one alone who saves us is Christ, because of God's grace, which gives us faith to lay hold of him. And ultimately, why has all this been done? To the praise of his glorious grace. So that's why those five solas are there. But you'll notice I haven't mentioned one. And that's the second thing I want to... I mean, that's the... I'm sorry, that's the first... Uh, unmistakable fact I want you to lay hold of, sola scriptura. The scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. Tonight I want to talk with this, uh, I want to share some things with you tonight from uh, the historical examination of the Reformation through the life of Martin Luther. But one of the things you got to understand, this is amazing, that the Reformation, which began to the cauldron of it in the 16th century, uh, and the magisterial reformers, Calvin and Luther and, and Melanchthon and Cranmer and Latimer and Ridley, and, and all of these magisterial reformers, it didn't begin in the 16th century. It began in the 15th century. And it didn't just begin in a place called Wittenberg, Germany. No, it began all over. It was there it was happening in Italy. It was happening uh it was happening in England. It was happening in France. It was happening and there were these men that God was using and one of the burdens of their heart was God's word for God's people in their own languages. That's why the reformers eventually get to the crucial issue. It is not the culture that is our rule of faith and practice. It is not church. It is not the uh, not um, the the uh, fallibility of men in Christ's church, even those ordained and gifted. Men err. Councils err. There is only one infallible, inerrant, sufficient foundation. How firm a foundation has been laid for you in his excellent word. That the scripture alone is our only authoritative, infallible, inerrant, sufficient rule for faith, what we believe, life, how we live for the one who saved us. And that was the crucial issue that was established. It not only preceded the Reformation with men like Wycliffe and Huss and Tyndall and then fed into the Reformation, but even a magisterial reformer like Luther finally um, articulates it for us. Yes, on that October the 31st, He went and nailed on the Wittenberg door what amounted to an invitation to the scholars of the day to debate his 95 theses. That's what he was doing. He had no idea where this thing was going. I mean, why would he have written it in Latin? If he wanted it to get to everyone, it was his students that took it down, translated it into the common language, and put it in pamphlets and then sent it everywhere. Luther was Luther was profoundly, but merely in a sense, uh, calling for a debate, a forum um, with the uh, with the powers that be in the in the in the Holy See of Rome, and calling upon the Vatican for this debate. Uh, particularly in light of the so-called Sacrament of Penance and its related issues of the indulgence. It was right there on his doorstep, just across the river. There, uh, Tetzel was, with his little uh, ditty, was maneuvering and manipulating the people as, the, as a fundraiser for the building of the St. Peter's Basilica was taking place uh, through his endeavors. And and here he was with his uh, his little song that he would sing every time in the coff every time a coin in the coffer rings another soul from purgatory springs. And Luther is going to confront that. He is going to deal with that. He has been teaching the book of Romans. He has arrived in Romans 3 that says it's a righteousness that's provided for us in Christ by where, by which we are saved. And then Romans 5-1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he calls for this debate, but lit a firestorm of the Reformation. But by the time just a few years later, having done a number of these debates, he arrives for the premium moment. All of the political power was arrayed against him of the Holy Roman Empire. All of the power of the church was there at the Diet of Worms. And it is there that they brought to bear not only the papal bull that called for his life, the death warrant was out. And he was called to recant. He said to give him the evening. Everything was at stake, his life, his work, and all of God's people that were looking to him. And when he came back, that monumental statement that my conscience is captive to the word of God. And unless convinced from God's word, here I stand. I can do no other. It is that word that stands above all other powers, for it is God's word. So, That's why the vast majority of these reformers will die for you to have that Bible in front of you right now. The majority of them died for that. Why would they die for that? Can I give you one other unmistakable fact? not only at the crucible of the Reformation was sola scriptura, that the scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. But let me give you one more uh, insight, uh, one more unmistakable uh, fact that I think you and I need to remember and must remember. We have often said that this nation and certainly all the nations of the world. But in this movement, in the deconstruction of Western civilization from the secular progressivism and humanism and all that's there, that what is desperately needed, and with all due respect, I'm not taking a cheap shot. Just please hear me out on this. It isn't a red wave that's going to deliver you. I'm all for a red wave. Fine to have a red wave or a purple wave, maybe. I don't know. That's not my point. What is going to deliver this nation from its descent into depravity is a gospel wave, a gospel awakening, a soul-changing, heart-changing, life-transforming movement of the gospel just like we saw in the Great Awakening, maybe grander. But you can't miss the fact that the Great Awakening owed its very foundations to the reformation of the church. And I pray for that Gospel Awakening, but I am more convinced than ever That gospel awakening awaits a church reformation, a new reformation, a reformation in which the church does not look to personality, does not look to technique, does not look to programs, but looks to the power of the word of God unleashed in the lives of men and women as it's preached as it's shared, as it's lived, as it's spoken, with the fruit of the Spirit that begins with love. That is absolutely essential. So what is that word that is desperately needed in its reforming movement in the church? Well, Paul gives you some insights on it here. I would just simply like to say, One of the things I love about this text of Scripture... Is I In fact, this almost was your sermon today. It's not. It's just going to be referred to today. In the uh, moments that I have left, I just simply want to refer to the fact that what I'm going to draw out in 2 Timothy 3 is not going to be exhaustive. But what I want to draw out from 2 Timothy 3 is I could walk you through the Gospels and in the life and ministry of Jesus. He said every one of these. He said, every single one of them. In John 5, he said, the scripture cannot be broken. It's infallible. It's reliable. In John 9, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but they bear witness of me. The power to give life is in the scriptures. When Christ is exalted, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Luke 24, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained himself in all the scriptures. Our Lord made it abundantly clear, perhaps no more powerfully than in John seventeen, seventeen, when he prayed to the Father. Father, sanctify them. Set my people apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Doesn't contain it. Doesn't become it. It is truth. And whose word is it? Whose word is it? God's word. Thy word is truth. And so what Paul does is bring this at the end of his life where he also is placing the mantle in the last epistle he writes. He places the mantle upon his cherished son in the faith, Timothy. And what is he going to tell him in 1st, in 2nd Timothy 4 2? Timothy, preach. The Word. And in Second Timothy three he tells him about that word. Can I just draw out a couple of things for you from this scripture that alone is our only rule of faith and practice? Let me give you, let me ask you to go back with me to take a look at that text. But as for you, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the scriptures, the sacred writings, which are able, now watch this, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. Now, don't forget something. What Bible is Timothy working with? Old Testament. You don't have one way of salvation in the Old Testament and another one in the New. In the Old Testament, you've got the gospel in symbol, in sign, in shadow, in precept, and in narratives that show you Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Did they have the same clarity that we have in the New Testament that expounds all of those things that are fulfilled in Christ? No, they didn't have the clarity we do, but we have it. And now we look back and see, aha, the ark, that's pointing to Jesus. The the burnt offerings, that's pointing to Jesus. The wave offerings, that's pointing to Jesus. The prophets, he's the prophet. The priests, he's the priest. The kings, he's the king. That now we see that Yom Kippur, that day of atonement, that's Christ. That's Christ on the cross. That expiation, the scapegoat that takes the sins away from the people, that's Christ who takes away our sins. That propitiation, that satisfaction that we desperately need that won't come from bulls and goats, that satisfaction that came when Christ took our sins and said what was just sung, It is finished. It's Him that this is pointing to. He's the Passover. He's the circumcision. He's the tabernacle. He is the temple. It is all yes and amen in Christ beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. He explained Himself in all the Scriptures. It is a gospel word. It is a Christ-exalting word. That's the Bible we have. Timothy and Paul had the shadows. We have the fulfillment. We have the exposition. In the Old Testament, which is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament, which is the Old Testament revealed. So the first thing we learn, we've got a gospel word, salvation. You can't find it anywhere else. And the stewardship of this word to proclaim that gospel has been given to us. And when you preach the gospel, it is the, it is is Christ-exalting. It is able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. Not faith in faith. Faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you by faith. Faith's the instrument. It's not the Savior. The apostle Paul does not say in 2nd Timothy, I suffer these things and I'm not ashamed because I know when I believed. He says, I know whom I have believed. He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. So here it's a gospel word. It is a Christ-centered word. It is a, it is a God-given word. Look at that 16th verse. All scripture is theonoustos. It's God-breathed. That's why the prophets didn't say, Isaiah says on behalf of the Lord. They say, no, thus saith the Lord. That's why the apostle Paul says, I am glad that you received our word for that which it is, the word of God, not the word of man. This is God's word. When you say and I say we don't have time for it, we don't have time for God's word. When we say that we're not interested in it, to me, I think this is one of the challenging things. I want you to know something as clear as I can say this from personal testimony. I did everything I could to avoid the Bible when I was unsaved. And the night that, the day I got converted, I read the New Testament that night and started looking up where good preachers were that next day. What changed? The Bible hadn't changed. What changed was I had changed. And it wasn't the fact that I wanted to hear preachers that saved me. It was the fact that God saved me. And that's why now God's word was precious. It was the honey that drips from God. To hear it, to read it, to know it was everything, everything. Brothers and sisters, that's one of the telling evidences. And I only say what Peter says. The believer longs for the word like the babe longs for the mother's milk. The pure, unadulterated word of God. Is what they desire, what they long for. Why? It's God speaking. I've used this illustration before. If I could use it one more time, briefly. Cindy and I, uh, during the uh, COVID thing, had some time to do some uh, uh, some. Um, uh, I don't know what to call it. It Wasn't spring cleaning, but it was just do some things. You know, honey, I want You know, honey, do okay. And one of those was to clean out a box, which I cleaned out the box. And and then uh, in that box was the letters that she wrote to me during our um, three uh, after our engagement and the three months before we were married. So we dated for three months and then then she went away to school and then for the next three months. Uh, before our marriage, she started writing me letters and they were pretty much every day. And uh, and she said, oh, here they are. I said, yes, here they are. And she opened and she took the we took the rubber band off. And I'm sitting there praying as we go through. Oh, dear Lord, please let every single one of these envelopes be opened, please. I do not want to come across, oh, you didn't want to read this one? Are you too busy to read my letter that day that I took the time to write every single day? Well, thankfully I did not uh, come short. But folks, this is God's word to you. You need it every day. You need it preached at least every Lord's Day. You need it pastorally preached. You need it in your life. This is God's word. It has been given to you. This is why we say it's infallible. It's reliable. The scriptures cannot be broken. Because it is God's word. And God is trustworthy. God is unfailing that means what belongs to God is unfailing and God's word belongs to him therefore it is utterly reliable it tells you how to parent it tells you how to live it tells you how to do business it tells you how to do all of those things for Christ in Christ to God's glory And the blessing is not defined by the metrics of the world. The blessings is defined by praise to God, by the way his people live in the power of the spirit being directed by the word of God. There is where the prosperity and success of the gospel is at work. Not in the metrics of this world, but in the glorious measurement That our God is being exalted because his people love his word, know his word, live his word, share his word, proclaim his word. And that word is inerrant. Are there difficult passages? Absolutely. There are difficult passages. But it is an inerrant word. The answers are there. It is actually reliable because there is no error. Why? Because God can't err. It may take a while for the geologist, the scientist, the biologist, the social scientist. It may take a while to catch up with him. But God's word is true. Let every man be a liar. It is infallible, it is inerrant, and because it is God-given. Fourthly, it is profitable. Here is your profit every day. All scriptures inspired by God and is profitable. Profitable for teaching. Profitable for correction, uh, reproof. Prof- profitable for correction. Profitable for training. Here is my training camp. Here is my spiritual diet. Here is the directions for my spiritual exercise. Here is everything I need for godliness. That's what Peter says. That in the scripture, Peter says all things necessary for godliness and righteousness before the Lord are here. This is why we say it is our only rule for faith and practice. We don't look somewhere else for faith and defining those practices that are pleasing to him it is god's word that we go to it is god's word that is profitable and that means all of it all of god's word is profitable fifthly and finally it is sufficient that the man of god may be complete and equipped for every good work it is a sufficient word now let me be very quick and careful to uh, to make sure you understand what we mean by this. When we say that the Bible is true, it's God's Word, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it is a gospel message, it is a Christ-exalting message, when we say that, let me be also quick to tell you that it is sufficient, it is complete, All that we need and all that we need pertaining to godliness and living for him in terms of what we believe and what we do is given to us by precept in his word. And this word, I quote Psalm 119, is settled in the heavens forever. But here's what I want to be quick to tell you. Not all truth is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't, the Bible isn't a textbook on physics. Now when it speaks to physics, it's true. But the Bible is not a textbook on, um, uh, on geography. When it speaks to geography, it's true. The Bible, uh, the other day, my car was acting crazy. So what did I end up reading? I didn't turn to 2 Timothy 3. I went and got the handbook. Here's what this button does. Here's what that button does. And here's what this button does. It told me what to do. And guess what? It was accurate. It was true. Not all truth is in the Bible. In fact, not all of spiritual truth is in the Bible. Does not the Bible tell you? in the gospel of John that Jesus it repeats this in fact that Jesus said many things that aren't recorded in fact if we were to record now i'm just quoting them if we were to record all that he had said and then they give this hyperbole to show how important what he says is the whole world couldn't contain the books so this is a sovereign god Putting what we need sufficiently in his word. Not all truth is in the Bible. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. This is what God's revealed to us and to our children. This is sufficient. This is what we need. But not all truth is in there. But everything that's in there is true. Everything that's in there is true. And all that I need to know him, love him, serve him... All that I need is there. And all that I need when people bring to me the claims of truth from God's general revelation, all that I need to evaluate that has been given to me in the Word. That's why we want to develop a biblical world in life view. When the, when the claims of the world come to us and we begin to filter through them, it can't contradict God's Word if it is of God and it is true. But all that I need to know Christ, make Christ known, live for Christ is here in it, in this word. It is sufficient. It is adequate and to make me complete for every good work before the Lord. Well, let me just give you a a takeaway. I mean, just a a brief takeaway and, um, and then, uh, uh, that's obviously there's much more than this, but Uh, Thankfully, we get to do this every Lord's Day and come to this Bible. We sing it. We read it. We pray it. We confess it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We proclaim it. We study it. Brothers and sisters, let me just make a couple of things. I don't know hardly of anyone here. I'm sure there will be someone here that will dispute me on everything I've said. There, There may be here, and I'd love to talk with you. Because I know, I know God's word will bring you to the God of the word. And I want to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, you're on a collision course with hell. But God has given his word to tell you what he'll do in your life. You can know this word and not know him. But you can't know him without this word. I'll take whatever time you want to take to talk about it. But I will tell you, I will only do what this word says, with confidence in its reliability, its inerrancy, its sufficiency. I will endeavor to follow this biblical roadmap to bring you to Jesus, who will give you life evermore. Who is in him all the promises of God are yes and amen. But among us here that would say that, yes, all scriptures inspired by God. It's our only rule of faith and practice. Many times we don't live consistently that way. And I think one of the reasons why is Satan has devices. He has snares. He has schemes. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are very subtle. Some of them are so subtle that many times we... The preaching we choose to hear is selective. It doesn't preach. Remember what Paul said? I am innocent of your blood, Ephesus. Why? Because I declared to you what? The whole not the selected counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Sometimes Satan can draw us away from the word read, studied, or preached that's selected passages. Ear-tickling passages or twisted passages. And therefore, we don't come to all of the scriptures. Pastor, why is that so important? Because it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Jesus said, make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So sometimes we can be under preaching that's selective and doesn't submit the preaching to the authority of the word, but man goes above it and, as it were, in preaching choices edits out what might be offensive, what might be difficult, what might be challenging, or what might bring the wrath of the culture. And then we also can get selective And that we walk away from those texts that show us the sin that we don't want to deal with. So sometimes we can fall prey to Satan's designs or devices of selectivity. Another one is, I could say laziness. Sometimes I think it's just, it's what one person called immediacy. We don't want to take the time to do what Paul said in the previous chapter to chapter 3. Study and show yourself approved as a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of the truth. We want immediacy. So we come up with bizarre, exotic doctrines such as I get new revelation. I can go over here and say things a certain way and I get a word from God. Well, I thought this was sufficient. I thought this was sufficient. Why do I need another word for God? If I believe what he says about his word. Or I need another blessing. And so we begin for the sake of immediacy. Shortcut. Why take the time to study? Why take the time to read? Why take the time to meditate, memorize? Well, I just want, hey, I'll get a word from God. And so these exotic doctrines drawing us away. From the scripture alone as our rule of faith and practice. But sometimes, sometimes it's not just immediacy and sometimes it's not just the wanting of personal word. Sometimes we're selective, and this is where we desperately need a reformation in the professing evangelical church. We're so much wanting to be a culture player to get cultural applause that we get silent on the very things that culture tells us to shut up. Listen, the church's mission is narrow. Make disciples. But our message is comprehensive. It's broad. It speaks to sanctity of life and gender and marriage and parenting. It speaks to those things. Therefore, pulpits must not be silent. I must not be selective. You must not be selective. Thoughtful, loving, compassionate, clear, patient. Yes, but not selective. We must preach and teach the whole counsel of God and study all of God's word. Then I would just say, Pastor, how can I avoid subtle the subtle devices of Satan will cultivate a love for God's word to love the God of the word. Don't we're not talking about bibli, Bibliology, we're not worshiping the Bible. This is a divine, perfect, complete, inerrant, infallible, sufficient instrument. It is God who saves And it's designed to bring us to know him, love him, and serve him. That's what took a hold of the reformers that's why they died so it could be put in your hands that's why sola scriptura becomes the foundational sola how do I know you're saved by Christ alone because the Bible says so how do I know you're saved by faith in Christ because the Bible says so how do I know I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ because the Bible says so I know what we like to say and it's right to say that we, we like to say the Bible says it I believe it that settles it. but in Reformed doctrine, Reformed theology, which is shorthand, Reformed theology is shorthand for the recapturing of this foundational reality of salvation and the authority of God's Word. It's, it's it's um, Its very crux is found in the confidence that we have in the Word of God. Therefore, what we say, God said it. That settles it. Jesus, I believe it. And where I don't, help my unbelief. I love the moment in Daniel 6. Where another device has been created to capture Daniel and his companions. And then a death warrant is signed. That if you do not worship, and if you worship or bow down before any other gods. And when Daniel, Daniel 6, when he heard that the warrant and the decree had been signed. I love what the Bible says. He went back to his room. And as was his practice. Opened. The windows and knelt and prayed. I don't know what devices this world's going to come up with. The isms are seemingly endless. Scientism, secularism, progressivism, humanism, materialism, utilitarianism. But what we need to do. Is to do what they did and what the apostles did. Hear the words of Jesus. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Love the Lord today that's filled with songs and confessions. And worship, and reading, and confessing, and preaching of the truth. Love the family altar. Love your quiet time chair, where every day, by His Spirit in prayer, you come to His Word to hear Him, to know Him. To love him. And then ask the Lord. To fill us up so much. That in love we'll speak truth with each other. God's truth. And then in love. We'll bring that truth. To the lost. That they may know him. The truth of God's word. Brings you to God. Jesus said. This is. Is eternal life. That you know God. And his son. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord thank you for the moments in your word. Thank you for this firm foundation that is ours. Thank you God that. The presence of your spirit and the fellowship of the saints. The communion of the saints. All of that. You'll use so that we do not fall prey to Satan's subtle devices. Help us, O God, to love you through your word, by your word, in the power of your spirit, calling upon you in prayer and calling out to you in praise. May our lives be what the template of this service is to be, to bless the Lord in spirit and in truth. Thy word is truth. Amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.